0: This is the Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. This is going to be Random Thoughts number 16. And I'm going to explain the topic after I do the prayer. Um, How I explain it in the show notes is going to generally work, or I should say, I'll decide what I put in the show notes as far as how this topic pans out after I get done recording this episode, but let's get the prayer done. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. All that I am, all that I have all that I do, shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory, and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, in the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So, the topic, and... This is going to have some religious themes to it, but in general, it's going to be a generalized. Um, it's it's going to be a generalized subject on my approach on what I'm attempting to do on my social media. Those of you who read the Bible and have read the Old Testament know that in the Old Testament that when God wanted to make a really a really um, important point when it came to his power and his Sovereignty, when he wanted to deliver the Israelites from their oppressors, he, when when he wanted to make a really bold point, he would take And this is a really deep subject. I hope and pray I give it justice. He would take the least likely people. And not only would he take the least likely people, he would take the least amount of them. Now, there are two stories in the Bible in particular that I can remember. There are probably maybe more. One of them was Gideon. And I'm going to use the case of Gideon in this primary example because it's the one that's freshest in my mind right now. In the case of Gideon, I don't remember Gideon's background or who he was personally, but basically Gideon um was he, he wasn't a soldier, he wasn't a general, he wasn't a king. um. I'm not even sure, I don't even think he was a prophet, but God spoke to Gideon and said, okay, I I forget in particular which pagan tribe it was that was oppressing Israel at that time, but he says, I want you to pick an army, and with that army, you're going to deliver your, I'm going to deliver you from your oppressors. And so Gideon relayed the message to his Israelites, and he had, if I'm remembering the story correctly, he got like 40,000 volunteers. I don't remember the size of the army that the pagans had, but I if I'm remembering the story correctly, he had around 40,000 volunteers and God said, that's too many. Whittle it down. So he whittled it down to 20,000. God told him again, too many. Then he whittled it down to uh, 10,000, too many, a thousand, too many. He got down to 400 and God said, no, too many. And he got down to 40. He got down to 40 volunteers. And God said, Yeah, okay, do it. So, right before the battle, and by the way, the pagans were laughing themselves silly. I don't remember, once again, the size of their army, it was in the thousands. And here are 40 guys, not soldiers, just volunteers. Regular dudes. And they're laughing themselves silly. (laughs) Look at these silly Israelites. 40 guys. We're going to smoke them. And the night before the battle was supposed to happen, God came to Gideon and he said, don't take weapons. Don't take weapons. Take lanterns and Pots and, well, I'm saying pots and pans. It may have been something differently. But he said, take pots and pans and have your 40 volunteers just wave the lights around and make as much noise as you can. Just do that. And do it at night. And that's what Gideon did and according to the old testament story that uh, the, the pagan enemies of the israelites saw lights they heard a bunch of noise of you know these utensils being banged together and they were terrified because they were thinking I think the Israelites fooled us. They they brought in more troops when we were unaware, and now they're attacking us. And in their confusion, and by the way, I do remember this part, in when Gideon and his volunteers were doing all this, the spirit of fear of the Lord came on to their pagan enemies and caused confusion and, and fear in them. So they started, and this is also in the bio, uh, in the story of Gideon, they killed, they, they, they started killing each other in their confusion and in their terror, and they just ran off. So as i said before god uses the least likely people he also uses means which to the pagans at large does not they don't comprehend because they're pagans and they can't comprehend to show his sovereignty and his power and that that is because he's he's making a very what i would call a salient point when i say salient i'm talking about he wants he wants to wake the pagans up He's, he's making, you know, he's I I don't want to belabor the point, but and he's he does this throughout the Old Testament, and if you read Catholic history, he's done it in Catholic history too. Where um the 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 battle I'm thinking of in particular, is of my own patron saint, St. John Capistrano. John Capistrano was lived in the 15th century, and at this time, the Muslims had invaded southeastern Europe, and their caliph had stated publicly that he was not going to stop until he was sitting in the Vatican itself. Now, given where this particular caliph was situated, he had to go through southeastern Europe, what is known as Greece, the former Yugoslavia. And this caliph was wildly successful And he got to the uh, Serbian city of Belgrade. And because his troops and his generals were top-notch, they knew that once they they captured Belgrade, Rome was going to be wide open to them and they were going to sweep any Catholic before them that they were were literally going to march to Rome and he was going to make, keep his promise. My patron saint was a Franciscan friar. He was a monk who was also a priest. And he, I want to say at the time of the Battle of Belgrade, was actually the head of the Franciscan Order throughout Europe. I could be wrong about that for you historical types out there. If I am, please let me know. But he was the head of the Franciscan Order in Europe. His only claim to military fame was that his father, not him, his father had been a knight. And... That was it. He'd never been in battle. As a matter of fact, what made him a saint was not the fact that he won the Battle of Belgrade, but the fact that um, he was a very pious and devout man who would preach against heresies throughout Christendom because this was... I want to say around a hundred years before Martin Luther made widespread the heresy of Protestantism. But as I never get tired of telling my audience, heresies had existed long before Martin Luther. Martin Luther, though, was a successful heretic. But he was known for his piety and devotion. And so when... This caliph, this Muslim caliph, was marching through Southeast Europe, wildly successful. The Pope at that time, and I don't remember who the Pope was, and for the sake of this episode, it doesn't matter. If you're interested, uh, read some Catholic history. But whoever the Pope was, realized, you know, because there were Catholic uh, generals and princes who real who had military minds and they realized the same thing that the caliph did that if he if the caliph captured Belgrade the road to Rome would be wide open and Christendom as we know it would be defeated and thrown over and through some vagarity of of divine providence this pope went to. Capistrano. And I think it had something to do with the fact that Capistrano was so pious and devout that a lot of Catholic princes and kings were going to him for spiritual advice. But he went to um, St. John Capistrano and he said, look, if the Muslims captured Belgrade were cooked, get these Catholic princes off their, you know, because at this time, the Catholic princes, due to politics, were fighting amongst themselves. And if they weren't fighting amongst themselves, they were indifferent. They were worldly. They didn't care. They they didn't care. They were Catholics in name only. As long as their treasuries were full, and their people weren't starving, and there was, you know, no major issues on the horizon. They didn't care. So Saint John Capistrano went to all uh, as many of the princes and kings as he could, and tried to convince them. For the most part, they they blew him off. They blew him off. They said, you know, yeah, 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 we'll 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 do it. They will we'll do it. We'll do it, and they didn't do it. Meanwhile, the Caliph was working his way through Southeast Europe on his way to Belgrade. One of the Catholic princes was a prince of Hungary. For you autists out there, if I massacre the name, if you know who I'm talking about, just leave it at this. There was a Catholic prince named, I'm sorry, he wasn't even a, prince he was a general but he was from Hungary and his name was John Honundai. he was a knight who had been wildly successful against the Muslims who kept trying to invade Europe and Saint John Capistrano who who knew him not just by reputation they were personal friends went to John Hyundai and they said he said look um the the Muslims, if they capture, um, if they capture Belgrade, the road to Rome is wide open and Christendom as we know it is going to be overthrown. We need to do something. John Hyundai, being a good general, was well aware of the danger at hand. Oh, and by the way, the Muslim army that the caliph assembled, I want to say, was between 200,000 and 300,000 men. And these were not draftees. These were not, I mean, some of them were draftees. But this army that he was taking into Europe to capture Rome with was a battle-hardened army inexperienced. The equivalent I can make of it is the German army at around the time of World War II in 1941. It was experienced. It was battle-hardened. These guys were professionals. And so John Hyundai gathered together his troops. And I want to say his forces were around 15 to 20,000 troops. Now, being a general, but not a saint, he's thinking to himself, he could see the score on a natural level. He's going up against 200,000 to 300,000 Muslim troops who are battle-hardened, and he's got fifteen to 20,000 troops. Now, his troops were knights who were also battle-hardened and experienced, but any general on a natural level is not going to take 20,000 troops against 300,000 troops. They're going to get smoked on a natural level. But John Hyundai told St. John Capistrano, you've never steered me wrong. I have sincere and grave doubts about this. But if you say it can be done, it can be done. And he promptly took his 15,000 to 20,000 troops and went down to Belgrade to reinforce the city and to try to defend it. In the meantime, because the princes and the kings of Europe at that time were ignoring him, and this is a... Uh, a theme throughout Catholic history, St. John Capistrano started preaching a crusade through the villages as he was on his way to Belgrade. Because at, at, at the time, I want to say, he was either in southern Poland or northern Bohemia. But he knew, he knew that him and his order that he was in charge of had to um, they, they, they had to assist John Hyundai in the defense of Belgrade. So as he's on his way down to Belgrade himself, he starts preaching a crusade. Once again, this, if you read your Catholic history, this is a thing. So he's going through villages and he's telling the peasants of that time, hey, look, the Muslims are going to attack Belgrade. If they attack Belgrade and capture it, they're going to march to Rome and they're going to overthrow the Pope and overthrow Catholicism. And so he's he's heading to Belgrade. By the time he got to Belgrade, he had, I want to say, 50,000 to 100,000 peasants Now, you have to understand the context of this this story that I'm telling. Peasants at that time did not fight. They were not soldiers. They were like what they are, farmers. And so when a peasant decided to go on a crusade, and it doesn't matter what period of time it was, they didn't have swords, they didn't have pikes, they didn't have shields or armor. They had literal pitchforks and torches. And that's what these these peasants took with them. And they were not trained soldiers. None of them had ever fought in anger before. I mean, they might have gotten in a bar fight at the local tavern, but they'd never been in, you know, in a military war before. And to make a long, involved story short, the 300 troops, uh, I'm sorry, the 300,000 troops of the Caliph reached Belgrade. Um, John Hyundai had already been there for a couple of months. He had done his best to shore up Belgrade. Belgrade had three walls. It had an outer wall, an intermediate wall, and an inner wall. Right before... No, well, for the sake of this story, I did not want to get too autistic. Sometime either when the Caliph reached Belgrade or right before St. John Capistrano came with his 50,000, I want to say it was around 50,000 peasants and got to Belgrade himself. Hyundai being a knight and a very great general knew that the, 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 the peasants were going to be useless against the Turkish regular soldiers. So he basically told... um. St. John Capistrano, he said, keep your troops in the background, let my knights do the fighting. The battle commenced, and, oh, and when Hyundai was there, he drafted the local men of Belgrade into his army, and kind of a reserve force role, and the women with the local monks, got together and made little aid stations for the troops who got wounded. And so when the Turkish, Turkish Caliph decided to attack Belgrade, he breached the outer wall but took massive casualties because, as I said earlier, John Hyundai was an excellent general. But he, John Hyundai himself, his forces took some casualties. Not as many as the Caliph did, but anybody who's militarily aware knows that if you've only got, say, 20,000 troops, every guy counts. But they fell back to the intermediate wall. The caliph attacked the intermediate wall and breached it, once again taking massive casualties. John Hyundai also took casualties, and they fell back to the inner walls. Now, at this point, because like I said, Hyundai was a soldier, not a saint, it's, it's looking like Christendom is, is, uh, is, is going to fall. And him being the, the soldier that he was, this is a testament to his fervor and his courage. Because he went to St. John Compassar and it's like, look, um, I'm gonna I, if I die here, I die here. I don't care. I'm gonna make these guys pay. But it ain't looking good. If I were you, I would evacuate the town. Get all the women and your monks and your peasants out of here because we're going to get killed. This is literally our last stand. And St. John Capistrano said to um, John Hyundai, he said, don't worry about it. God's got our back. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. He said, don't worry about it. God's got us. We're good. Now, Hyundai might have been a battle-hardened soldier who wasn't a saint, but he had enough respect for St. John Capistrano as a priest that he swallowed his doubts and they prepared. They prepared For the last battle. The the final sting. And so what ended up happening. Was that. The caliph was at the inner walls. Now he had started out with anywhere between 200 to 300,000 troops. By the time he got to the inner walls. He was down to like 100,000 troops. But he. He thought he had it. He knew, you know, he's not an idiot. He knew that Hyundai had taken massive casualties. He thought, this is it. All I have to do is breach those inner walls and we're going to Rome. When he got into the inner walls, there was some flammable material in front of the inner walls. And when he signaled his troops, and I'm talking about the Caliph for the final assault, One of the peasants on the walls took one of his torches or it might have been one of the ladies that were inside of Belgrade. The, the story is not clear but they took one of their torches and they threw it on the flammable material outside the walls just as the Muslim forces were starting their attack. And when other um, when, when when the fire hit the flammable material, and the troops, the, 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 the Turkish troops started burning to death, other people on the walls got the same idea and started tossing their torches to the point where the majority of the Turkish forces were on fire. They literally were on fire and in the confusion, in the chaos, they started turning on each other. And those who didn't turn on each other started re- you know, running for their lives because, hey, fire, don't want to be here. And at this point, St. John Capistrano's peasant army, their blood was up they could see the enemy who had been tormenting them for months on end, running in terror, and they're like, well, screw this, let's finish the job. And so they left the city and just started slaughtering any Turk who was unfortunate to catch their attention. Now, John Hyundai, seeing all this, turned to, St. John Capistrano is like, you need to get these peasants under control. They're going to get killed. And St. John Capistrano could see that himself. So as his peasants are just slaughtering whatever Turks are unfortunate enough to be in his way, he's trying to stop them and send them back to Belgrade. That's the long and short of the story. But that, that Caliph was completely and utterly defeated. If, if I remember the story correctly, he was actually killed while he was trying to retreat on his way back to the Ottoman Empire. Now, I know I've just spent 30 minutes giving an autist, two autistic stories as I say, as I never get tired of saying, there's a reason for why I do this, to bring it back to the topic at hand. If God wants to make a salient point, he doesn't need a massive a massive show of force. He will use the least likely sources in the least likely amount against his enemies that he can. And that is why I do, or my attitude when I do my podcast is I don't need to be like some YouTube channels and have over 100,000 listeners or 100,000 followers. I don't need that. The intent of why I do this podcast is I want people who share my sentiments when it comes to God's truth, His One True Church, and are serious about what they're doing. Now, I put it in a more simple form throughout both my podcasts that I don't care if I have one follower or fifty, or a hundred thousand. The numbers don't matter. What matters to me is, and this is the very bottom line that I can make it, is what is the things that I'm saying to 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 my listeners. I want people to be, who believe. And in, in the things that I cover. And that's another thing I want. I, I want to get another misapprehension out of the way because as moderns, we get tied up in the person and not the message. Okay. I recognize in myself that I am not, especially for the type of people that need the white knight on the white horsey to charge in and make everything good again. I'm not that guy. Never have been, never will be. I mean, unless God changes his mind. But for right now, as I'm recording, I'm not that guy. And I don't want to be that guy, honestly. But I want people, I want people who believe the message, who want to live. The message. Because it's one thing to get, you know, even to give intellectual assent and say, yeah, this is the truth, and then go about their day-to-day existence like, okay, I've acknowledged this is the truth. We're good. No, we need to be living it too. So, the Um, that 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 is one of the attitudes that I have for this podcast, and and my other one too. And I I think one of the and I'm going to wrap up here because I've pretty much covered what I want to cover. Um. A lot of people, especially if they're you know swimming in the social media waters, they get caught up in that way of thinking because in social media, from a natural sense, the podcast or whatever social media could be Twitter, could be Facebook, it doesn't matter. They're thinking to themselves, "Well, it's all about me as the all." Uh, as the podcaster or in, 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 um, Twitter, you know, as, as the, uh, person on Twitter, the it's, it's all about me personally. And it's all about my, you know, making as many followers as I can get. That is not my attitude. My attitude is the reverse It's not about me. It's about our Lord and his blessed mother. And it's about the message and people who honestly and sincerely believe in the message. So that's it. So I really appreciate your time and patience. I hope and pray. I hope and pray somebody gets something out of this. I pray for everyone And I genuinely want to see as many people get to heaven as possible. You have to be able to recognize the graces that you're given and then accept them if you do recognize them. And one thing I forgot on my last episode is don't be afraid to reach out for what you think is a grace. If you're honest and sincere, With our Lord and our Lady. And you're mistaken. That it's not an actual grace. They will help you to move out of it. I promise you I'm speaking from personal experience. So. Thank you for listening. A sincere God bless you. Have a good day. Bye bye.
1: sun goes over the waste land As far as the eye can see Sand fills the vast plains of circland Its vultures staring at me But they can circle until they drop dead I have not come this far To end, not to pursue my own thread To join the Barangian Gods of War